All right, we're up and ready to go. Sorry for the delay, everyone, if you're uh, about to tune in. Um, we're really honored today to um, hang out with a good friend, uh, an amazing pastor, amazing leader who uh, has really personally inspired me and encouraged my wife and I so much to, to actually do what we're doing um, in planning a church in Brooklyn. And so it's a real honor to have you here, Francis. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. It's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So um, you're in San Francisco right now. Just tell us, just to give us a bit of background, what's what's happening for you at the moment? Yeah, right now I'm in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, which is kind of where all the druggies, the homeless, uh, real low income, just kind of crazy, crazy neighborhood. Um, and uh, just every day we're kind of going door to door to apartments here, seeing if people need food, clothes trying to share the love of Jesus with them. Wow. Our Sunday church is very different. People show up. I teach for maybe 10 minutes. We sing for 10 minutes, and then we all hit the streets or go into buildings and just share the gospel, try to make disciples. Then we come back and share stories about what God's doing. And, uh, and just every week is just great, great stories. Um, so it's just a different form of church um, that's more focused on what you know, really talking about today. Yeah, well, let's jump into it then. You can obviously build it back into what you're doing now and, and explain that that heart and what's caused that for you. But let me read the scripture, everyone. Uh, today we're looking at Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19, and obviously the, that whole uh, Great Commission passage. Um, but verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Francis, um, the first thing I just wanted to mention and maybe get you to speak on, before we talk about what he's commanded us to do. Talk to me about that verse 18, because I think sometimes we skip quickly to 19, yeah. but I, I feel like there's such gold there, and, and just talk to us about that. It, it's massive. Like sometimes we, like you said, we skip over parts, like, oh, I heard that, I heard that, but every bit of this verse is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it says, and Jesus came. Even that is amazing, and we forget because... He was dead a few days ago. So the fact that he is coming to them, you know, here I, I think about the weight of someone you know that was dead and came back to life and then prefaces what he's about to say by saying every ounce of authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore. Like that's not, at that moment he's saying, Look, it doesn't matter what Josh thinks, doesn't matter what Francis, doesn't matter what Obama thinks, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks right now. Every ounce of authority, I don't care what religious leader, what demon, what angel, everything is right here. You don't have to listen to your mom, your dad, no one. All authority right here. I just rose from the grave and I've got a message. Therefore, it's like, 
Wow. Can you imagine how everyone must have been like hanging yeah. on every, you know, it's like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say now? Wow. That's so amazing. What, why did he say heaven and on earth? Why not just heaven? Well, you know, you, you see in, in scripture, um, you know, we have earthly rulers. Um, and uh, you have people on the earth. Yeah, you have, you have demonic forces on the earth as well. And you've got the, you know, people in the heavenly realms. I really think Jesus' point was this encapsulates everything, flesh and blood and the spiritual realm. Like, he's, it's showing his supremacy over everything. Just in case someone had a doubt of, oh, maybe he's the Lord of earth. And so he's above our emperor. You know, he's over Nero or he's over, you know, Caesar. Or he's over, you know, they're thinking earthly kings or they may be thinking, okay, that's great. He's over the earth, but, you know, still God's in heaven, you know, and God the Father. And he's saying, no, this is everything. It's all given to me. Yeah. So that next word, go, how powerful is that for you? Talk to us about that word. Out of out of what you've just said, yeah, I, it's so. Um, you know, if I were there and I saw a dead man come back to life and tell me to do something, there would be a sense of immediacy. There would be a sense of fear. There would be a sense of this is going to hold so much weight. And if he's saying go, like you know. And there's different interpretations of that. Some people say, you know, it's as you're going. It's, but it's the uh, idea of you're, you're going and making disciples. Like it's, uh, it's active. It's not let's stay here and make disciples. In fact, when you think about it, Jesus gathered these believers together on this mountain. Like he told them, hey, meet me here, meet me here, meet me here. So everyone's gathered there. All his followers are there. And he's telling them, I want you guys to go from here and make disciples. Because a lot of times when we think about making disciples, we think, oh, okay, I'll get in a discipleship group at my church. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't saying to those guys on the mountain, okay, get in a circle and start discipling each other. You know, yeah. he was thinking, this world doesn't know my story. Now go and make disciples. Get out of here. Go to the ends of the earth. Go to you know, the Acts 1-8. Yeah. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Go. So... So, um, how do we how do we make disciples in, in the context of this scripture? I mean, 2012, obviously coming up to a new year. The world has changed a lot since he gathered his followers and saying that. How does this apply now to us in in cities, world cities, America? Yeah. Oh man, it's it's going to be somewhat different in every context. But you have to look at your life and realize, okay, this is my mission. This is why I exist. This is Jesus came back. These are his last words. So I need to figure out a way to be getting the good news to other people, somehow, people who don't believe. I think this is clearly about reaching those who have not been reached. 
That's mm. why he's saying, go and make disciples. You're supposed to baptize them. They haven't been baptized. Baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's it's going out to those people. I mean, in my context, it's, uh, you know, we have all these apartment buildings, and so we go, gosh, let's just start talking to people. Let's just try to make disciples of them. We, we start off by showing grace. Anything to get a conversation going, anything to show the love of Christ, um, mm to show your concern for them. Sometimes it's easier to start with the poor um, because a lot of rich people don't want to give you the time of day. And there are many people on the earth, though, that don't have a lot of, a lot of friends. Um, I just thought of something. I want to show a, uh, a picture. I don't know if it'll, it'll work online, um, if you'll be able to see it. But uh, this is my daughter. Um, yeah just talking to this guy in this apartment building. Okay, so that's my daughter, Mercy. She's 12 years old. She'll bring uh, cookies or whatever, you know, and knock on doors and just give them out um, and start relationships. This guy, and then this guy uh, who was an EMT goes, man, I, I took this guy to the hospital last week and, and you know, he's, he's dying actually. And, he says the highlight of his week is this 12-year-old girl that comes to his room and brings him cookies and talks to him. And, and, and she, at 12, is laying out the gospel for this guy and everything else. Well, we just found out yesterday that he died. Wow. And last night, you know, I'm holding my daughter because she's sobbing. Going, Dad, he never believed. He wouldn't accept what I said. He, I tried to tell him. And so here's my little girl just crying, going, he, you know, we talk every week, but when it came to Jesus, he didn't want to listen. And, and she's just terrified of, you know, where she knows he is. And, and man, I, I mean, it broke my heart to, to hear about this man. And yet the other side is, gosh, the joy of knowing my daughter is actually obeying Matthew 28. Um, I, I think how many 13-year-olds in America are at home grieving over, gosh, I did share the gospel. is one of the guys. And, and three people last week that we have shared with died last week. Three different people. And you think, man, praise God, we got the gospel out to them. It also breaks our heart that they didn't accept it. And I had lunch with someone just a few hours ago, and it just got me all fired up to share again. I go, man, I don't, don't you see this? That was your neighbor that died. You know, this is serious stuff. And so we all need to be doing this in some way. I'm not saying you bake cookies. I'm just saying that's the way, oh, that's all my 13-year-old knows what to do. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like in everyone's context. Yeah, yeah. So talk, in that context, obviously everyone is going to be different. Some go to work every day, so their, their field and their opportunities with the guy that's sitting next to them or you know, someone's on a work site, they're a carpenter and they're, they're engaging with people. If, if he's saying go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, practically what does that look like for a young professional or someone 
that that is just going to work every day? How do you baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Oh yeah, I mean, first it's it's always got to start with love because you take this with other passages, and if you don't do it out of love, then it's it profits you nothing. I mean. Yeah. You know, it's like to see my daughter crying like that, obviously she cared about this man. She cares about these people. and She cares about their eternal destiny, so she's trying to share scripture best she can. Um, same thing in school. That's what my girls do in school, their public school. They just try to share because they love. Their hearts break over their friends, and so that causes them to speak up, and yet as they share, and um, that's my heart, is that every believer needs to be equipped to talk to others. I mean, you're the most effective person to do it at your workplace. You know, they know you. You tell them about the difference that he's made in your life and have others pray for you and give you the courage to go out and do that. And then as you do that, gosh, maybe some of them will come to believe in Jesus. And as they believe, then it's just like Acts chapter 2. Repent, be baptized, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's time to baptize them, but you baptize them into a church body. Hopefully, you're, you, know, you should also be a part of a church body. And now this person is not only joining themselves with Christ, but they're joining themselves into a family. They're a part of the body, whether they're an arm, a leg, a finger. They're being baptized into one body. And they need to see that. And it could be, you know, like in our gatherings, like my daughters have baptized people. Um, my wife baptized, you know, because they're the ones that led them to the Lord. Last week I did a um, conference with, with a bunch of uh, Major League Baseball players. And, and, uh, and it was so cool uh, when it came for baptism. We all went to the pool afterwards and... And different players that were influential baptized their friends. Some of them, their wives baptized them. And they were joining the body now as well as joining with Christ. And, you know, I know for you starting a, a, a church in Brooklyn, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing that week after week you have people that bring their friends that they've led to the Lord and, and then they're suddenly baptizing them in front of everyone and saying, hey, my friend Sheila or my co-worker Tom, you know, gave his life to the Lord as I talked to him. He wants to join our body, and so we're going to baptize him. He's ready to turn from his sins, follow Jesus, join this movement, join the body. You know, I baptize you in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Suddenly they do it, and it, it makes everyone else in the church go, man, I work with someone like Tom, you know, or Kathy, and, and so now it's not just, oh, that's a thing that Josh does. Um, yeah. You know, he goes out and shares his faith, or we bring him to church, and then Josh leads him to the Lord, and then he baptizes them. It's like, no, this is all of us. Is that what, uh, I mean, is that a big reason why you're doing things different in San Francisco? You, you really wanted to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry? Yeah, yeah. I want uh, people to see that, uh, one, they're going to be the most effective ministers. Uh, even the a guy I was talking to today, you know, he's talking to me, and, you know, this guy that's addicted to marijuana and alcohol, and, and you just see this glazed look almost when he talks to me. But I had a buddy of mine, you know, Tony was with me, 
And I go, man, I go, it's like Tony. I go, he was in the same place. He was in prison. And suddenly this guy's eyes light. I'm like, what? You did time? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was on, you know, I thought everyone was an FBI agent. I mean, I was schizophrenic, banging my head against the wall. He goes, I was about to commit suicide. And suddenly this guy is listening like, you? And I go, see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I want you, you know, be like, you know, I mean, you and I, there's some people we're going to reach, uh, but there's many people that you and I don't relate to very well. And yet it's about those congregation members that have so much more of a connection, so much more life experience in certain areas, struggle with some of the same things. And that's why the smartest thing I could do is equip a guy like Tony and go, man, you go reach those guys. I don't know what I'm talking about. You, you know, let's, <laughs> and that's the same thing. It's like, why would they have you share with their friend who designs iPhone apps with them? It's like, you know, it's like they're, they're already working in the cubicle next to each other. It's like, okay, who's this guy that's coming out and telling me about Jesus? It's like they trust their friends so much more. And so I'm just trying to equip the people because I go, look, this this is how churches grow exponentially. This is what happened in China, why we have millions and millions of believers. Because they didn't have a figurehead up there trying to save the world. Um, it was the common people understood their gifting, and it was teachers who just instructed them and then released them. And, I, and that's what I want to do with these people. I want to train them up, equip them, and then send them out. That's cool. There seems to be like a huge move of in just general population towards, you know, um, or organic food and um, things that are more authentic and even an upheaval towards certain uh, political cultures. And do you think something's happening worldwide and God's really doing something where we want something to be more organic and real and not just you know, the, the one dude doing it all, or uh, talk to us about what he thinks happening globally in the church in that regard. Yeah, I, I do think, um, well, some things are being forced for a couple reasons. One, I think the economy, as it gets worse and worse, especially in, in the States, the economy gets worse, big churches are going, man, how are we going to survive? A lot of churches are closing their doors because they can't afford to do church the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. It's required a ton of money. Um, and with the economy getting worse, but also with some of the tax uh, breaks that we've had for all these years that are slowly going to be taken, maybe not even slowly, they're going to be taken away from us over the next four years. And so it's going to cause the church to have to rethink, how are we going to pull this off? Um, there's that, but there's also some of our freedoms are going to be taken away from us soon. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Uh, there will be certain things that you and I will not be able to preach in a public forum that we've been able to for the last few centuries. We won't be able to do that anymore because they'll be considered a hate crime. Um, you know, there's certain, certain religions we're not allowed to attack. Christianity's free for all. You can attack Jesus all you want. But don't you dare, you know, speak against Muhammad. Don't you dare speak against homosexuality. There, there are going to be, you know, certain things that, we're not allowed to say in a public setting, and it's going to get worse and worse. 
And so people are going to need to stay for themselves. But also, there's the rise of false teachers also that are able to lead slews of people away because they don't know how to study the Word of God for themselves. And so right. it is time for a more organic form of church and really even a more organic form of evangelism where you go to your coworker and go, let's just read this book together. I'm not going to interpret it for you, but let's just read it. And what does it say? I mean, it's a great time to get people to read it for themselves. Saying, look, I'm not going to force feed you something. Like, this is the most read book in all of history. Like, no book. Don't you want to read it before you die? That's all I'm telling you to do. I'm not feeding you anything. I'm just going to just see what Jesus Just even just read the red letters and see what Jesus said. Yeah. And you tell me what you think he said. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. It's all these other teachers that are watering it down and saying, well, this doesn't really mean this. This doesn't really mean Just read it. It's pretty clear. And so it's time for that type of teaching again where it's not some guy who can fake the Greek or Hebrew well enough to lead a slew of people away. It's like, look, you've got it. You, you can read it for yourself. You know what Jesus is saying. Um, what do you think? Let's read the Gospel of John together and you tell me what it says. It's that time of organic, you know, and then here, here's a bunch of buddies of mine. We all read the Bible together each week. Not about one figurehead. There will always be leaders in the church, and rightly so, um, you know, to help direct and guide. But I, I just picture this form of more and more people reading the Word for themselves and taking responsibility. It's the only way we're going to be able to survive um, the future, I believe, because... Everyone knows that a lot of people watching, you could lead a group of 10 to 15 people in your home on a Sunday. If they all came, having read the Word of God, they're there because they love the fellowship with each other. They're there because they love the Word of God. and They want to share what they've learned. They love the body and they want to use their gifts for the people. They love communion and just can't wait to break bread in the midst of believers. They love caring for the poor and they can't get wait to get uh, with this group of people that's going to stir them on, spur them on to love and good deeds. And they, they, they're scared to share their faith. And, and so we get together and pray for our boldness, or we go out and do it together because it, it just makes us, like, as people can lead that. Some of you watching, you can lead that type of gathering. And guess what? At the end of the day, it costs nothing. You could do that while you're working your job and everything else. But once a church gets bigger, 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 and it depends on one person, then you start hiring staff, and pretty soon it's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. You know, I was up to like $6 million budget and going, man, it can't cost this much just to gather people together. That money could be used for such greater things. And so if we have leaders that can mobilize people like that, then I go, now we have all sorts of equipped leaders all around the city, and they know how to share their faith, they know how to study the Word of God, they know how to baptize and teach others to obey the, the Great Commission. This thing can take off, and so if they squash a guy like me and throw me in prison, it's okay, no big deal. The church moves on because people are equipped. Wow. So what place does the large gathering have? Obviously in the Book of Acts there, meeting in homes and the temple and there's this rhythm of community and life and there's celebration and worship and obviously you believe in all that. Um, and there seems to be a 
I think obviously the pe pendulum seems to swing. So it's like, okay, it's all about the big church or no, it's all about the, the house group. Is there a place in the middle where that big gathering can create huge influence on the city and other people feel more accepted in that, say in someone's home? Or is there, is that work? Yeah, I, I don't think it's even about large or small. It's about at the time, in your context, what is the most effective way to reach the greatest number of people. And I also think, okay, given the culture and where it's headed, let's just let's just reason and think through. Like I, I'm not against anything. I'm just going, let's just think through the wisdom of this. See, yeah. in the world, even a lot of the universities, they're not getting people to come into a lecture hall and teach, and they're right. just going, man, that's not cost-effective. And we've got to make it more available. And so more and more, I mean, they're surviving through distance learning, through online courses. They're even having people watch the lectures online because they're going, why would everyone sit in a building and listen to a lecture that they could have done in their own homes? You know, they can watch it on their iPhone while they're driving. You know, we, we could be doing this, and then when we get together, let's let's actually teach and interact. and. And I go, man, why doesn't the church start thinking this way and going, look, this system that we build that we say, no, it must be with this building in this setting, and people are just going nuts, and pastors now are fundraisers, and they're spending so much of their time and going, man, isn't there a smarter way? And so I'm not saying let's do away with the large gathering. I'm just saying let's think this through. Is it the best way? I, I do think if there is the opportunity to gather with a bunch of people occasionally, um, let's go do it. Uh, but we'd all agree okay, it doesn't seem cost effective to have a passion conference every week. And let's get 60,000 people into an arena every week. Uh, you know, and some people go, well, it doesn't seem effective to do 1,000 every week, or it doesn't seem to be, you know, even 500 or 50. Like, figure out different ways. We're trying to figure it out. I mean, we're in a place where we have, in one square mile, there's 37,000 people in this one square mile, and there's no room for a church. There's no, so we, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this, you know, in buildings or whatever else. Let's, let's, have, let's have 50 little churches in all of these places. Let's equip those people. Um, maybe once a month we'll rent a hall and everyone get together so there's some synergy of, wow, we're not alone. Look, there's thousands of people. Um, I, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Maybe it's even gathering some of the other churches in town. and Let's all get together and fill a stadium. And I'm not against that. I want to be careful thinking through, okay, if we have brothers and sisters that are just trying to find something to eat, do we feel good? Like how many millions do we feel good spending just to get a better feeling of getting a bunch of people in a room? Um, are there wiser ways to do it where we're not wasting time and money? It's very challenging. It's good. Um, so in terms of um, back to, obviously we're talking about Matthew 28 and discipleship and, and this is where it's leading us. It seems to me that this, your, your motivation is just radical love. Like, like you, you've written that book, Crazy Love, which is an awesome book. But if I peel back, you know, what we're talking about, it's that you really just want the gospel to be heard 
to as many people and it's not about big or small as you said but talk to us about that radical love that you've discovered in the scriptures and in your own life. What, what's motivating you to think this way? It is, uh, one, you know, I've been reading uh, Matthew 24 and 25 about the return of Christ and what I want to be found doing when he returns. Um, mm. But it's also a very scary passage when it talks about what he's going to do with the lazy servant or the person that just refuses to use their talents for him or... He returns, and those who don't care for the poor, you know, just like the three people last week that died that we've personally shared the gospel with, that motivates me. That motivated me today. Like, I don't want to just sit around and talk to a bunch of Christians. Um, that's reality. Like, they died without a knowledge of Christ, and they would have, you know, I mean, now there, there may be the hope that they gave their life to the Lord, and who knows? They heard the gospel, but they would have just died in their apartment. No one would have known. They would have never heard the good news. And that breaks my heart. And to know that there are thousands of people in this neighborhood makes me go, okay, I want to mobilize these people. we got to get to every door because guess what? There'll be even more that die this week and next week and on and on and on. And that's got to motivate us. Mm. So in, in, as in closing and just encouraging us, you know, the people that are interested in see through Brooklyn and what we're heading towards, um, what obviously being in different church settings and, and speaking all over the place in America, just, just speak some words of encouragement to us and, and uh, inspire us. The, the most, I, I think the most encouraging thing I could say comes from that passage itself where he closes it by saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, my greatest encouragement is a lot of people go, gosh, I don't, I don't feel Jesus with me. I don't experience the spirit in me. I, and my question is, well, are you making disciples? Because it's in the context of actually going out and making disciples that he says he'll be with you. And right. I will tell you, man, the people that minister with me, they are experiencing the presence of Jesus. When we come back in that room and people start spouting off stories, it's they have just met with Jesus. Jesus was with them when they were terrified trying to make disciples. It's just like what they, you know, Jesus says in Luke 12, um, uh, 12 or 14, I think it's 12. Um, you know, just, gosh, when you don't know what you're going to say, the Holy Spirit is going to speak for you. But it's always in that context of going and making disciples. Like, you know, we always just defer to, well, if you're feeling separate from the Lord, then just go get alone on a mountain somewhere. That's important. That is good. But I would add to that, say, well, if you're not experiencing His presence, go share your faith with someone. Go try to make it. Yeah. You want to experience God, use the gift that God's given you. Open your voice because that's the context in which he says he was sending his Holy Spirit. It's not that we feel something or do something in church service. He's sending it so that we would be his witnesses. We'll receive power to be his witnesses. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're just looking for a feeling in the church from the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that's why he was sending his spirit. He was sending his spirit so that we would have power to be his witnesses. 
and you see that in Acts chapter 2. It was to go and make disciples. It was power for the sake of evangelism. And so, man, the greatest encouragement I, I could give is this is not so you don't feel guilt or whatever. It's so that you can experience Jesus in such a real way. It's beautiful. Yeah. So encouraging, Francis. You're always just a blessing and, a, and just a, a, a pastor that calls me to a, a, a higher level of, of living and, and to share my faith as a young pastor and to, to get out of my comfort zone. Um, you, you're just such an encouragement. So thank you so much for joining us on the Bible study and look forward to hanging out stateside and uh, hanging in New York again. And just just thank you for all you're doing and, and we're praying for you and what's happening in San Francisco and love to your family as well. All right. Thanks, Josh. All right. God bless. We'll see you soon.